Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, The Crossroad. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 8, verses 31 to 44, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Authentic Disciples. I'm reading John 8, 30 to 31. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now we're about to read a conversation between Jesus and those who believed in him. Now, once you grasp that, well, the entire conversation is going to be very hard to understand. That's because, as we're going to see, Jesus accuses these very same people who believe in him, according to verse 34, of being slaves of sin. And according to verse 37, of not caring about what he says. And then according to verse 44, he says they're children of the devil. And then according to verse 55, he calls them liars. And eventually he accuses them of wanting to kill him. Now, what do we make of that? What a way to treat people who believe in him. How do we explain that? Well, the explanation has everything in the world to do with an essential theme in the book of John. See, the book of John, according to John himself, is written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. That's the theme of this book. But as we read through the book, we soon discover that there's a difference between believing and believing. So imagine a young woman getting a fake diamond ring as a symbol for engagement. And if she's fooled by the fake, she's going to be pleased and flattered to have gotten such a wonderful engagement ring. She's going to show it to her friends, and she's going to wear it proudly on her finger, and she's going to boast about the one who gave it to her. But once she finds out it's an imitation, her joy and love turn to anger and feelings of betrayal. Indeed, that kind of imitation, that kind of fake, is not a form of flattery. It's offensive. A fake is offensive. So from our text in John, it seems very clear that verse 31 The statement that many believed in him sets the stage for understanding this entire passage. So this passage is all about what I call ADs and IDs. ADs are authentic disciples. IDs are imitation disciples. But in some fashion, both ADs and IDs believe. That is, there is a similarity to them, but there's a difference. So then, how do we know if you're an AD or an ID? Well, just to be clear, It's not as if this is the only place in the Bible where this comes up. You know, for instance, Jesus is speaking in Matthew 7, 22 to 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Or listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? See, I can think of nothing more important than what this text presents us with. John 8, 31 to 47 is to be read by Bible students as a test. Am I really one of Christ's authentic followers, or am I merely an ID, an imitation disciple? Can I know this before I stand before God on the final day? So my prayer is that by the time we finish today's study, the matter will be completely clear. So let's start at the beginning, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So what's the mark of an authentic disciple? Well, they abide in his word. Now that word abide has also been translated as remain or to hold on to. You know, I looked at the Greek word and it carries with it the idea of keeping on or continuing. So in effect, this is what Jesus is saying. This is the mark of an authentic disciple. Let me put it another way. They don't just pay attention to his word. They keep on paying attention. They remain. They never give up. Now, the reference to my word, well, that stands for the whole of Jesus' teaching. It means everything that he taught and said. And and for us, as we examine this, we might remember that Jesus taught that the entire Old Testament bore witness to him. We also know that the rest of the New Testament after the four Gospels is also about Jesus. So then it's not improper for us to say abiding in the teachings of Jesus means abiding in Scripture, in the Bible. And let's just say that every A.D., authentic disciple, studies the Word, agrees with the Word, and obeys the Word. I'm sure that abiding in the Word means all three of those elements. And I need to stop there. For myself as a preaching pastor, I'm under obligation. It must never be about what I believe or what I think is interesting or what I think is relevant or what I think leads to the highest listening audience. A true disciple whose task is to preach must preach the content of Scripture. But let's get past preachers and let's talk about every single believer. See, it's a mandate for all of us who believe that we commit ourselves to a disciplined, habitual reading of the whole Bible, as well as to study the text both in devotions and in study with others. Look, I'm not giving this as a means of righteousness. You know, we don't earn our righteousness that way. See, we're made holy by the blood of Christ. We're not made holy by Bible study. But the one who's redeemed and truly believes, that is, the authentic disciple, has an interest and a commitment to remaining in the Word as a course of life. But Jesus doesn't end simply by calling us to abide in the Word. He promises us an outcome. He says, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I wonder if there's ever been a more misquoted verse than this one. So let's consider what it truly says. A lifetime of reading and studying and memorizing and obeying the Word has results. In a world fraught with pagan worldviews, with many gods and goddesses, or a secular worldview, which denies both the reality of God and that obedience to God matters, to a world of false teachers, to a world which offers sensuality and lust and materialism and pride and wealth as the goal of life and the way to happiness, How, how, in the midst of such a confusion of ideas and competing moralities and truth claims, how will we ever find the truth? Won't our minds be so polluted by the various things that we've all heard that we never see through it? Won't we all unknowingly adopt all sorts of lies and half-truths and false ways of thinking and acting? Won't we just assume all sorts of things are true and never even give it a thought? Ah. But if you bury your heart in the word, you'll know the truth. Listen, you will know the truth. Truth will become plain to you. Keep studying, keep learning, keep obeying, keep finding an interest in the word. And the cloud of lies and errors are going to part and the truth will become clear to you. See, I have a wonderful story about this. Some time ago, a woman came to see me because she had a number of questions that she needed to have answered. And they were questions about the Bible and truth and theology. And she asked them, but then I could see that she already knew all the answers. 
Then as we talked, I noticed she had two different Bibles, and I asked her what they were. And she told me, well, I, I really can't read the one of them. And I asked her why. And then she showed me. She had so marked up that Bible, every phrase, every word had a little mark beside it with some notes. She had literally poured over every single line in the entire book, and as a consequence, truth simply flowed out of her. Well, you might argue, well, wait a minute. That's the Pharisees as well. Yeah, it is, but notice verse 31. Jesus calls the word, my word. See, in that case, the truth and the freedom he speaks of comes from seeing him in every passage of Scripture. I know it takes some work, but soon you're going to see that Jesus is the greater ram that was caught in the thicket so that we need not be slain on the altar. And Jesus is also the blood of that ram that was put on the the doorposts of our houses so that the angel of death would pass over us. And Jesus is also our greater David, who slays the giant Goliath on our behalf so that we are spared. And Jesus is the man in the furnace so that the three Hebrew believers could be set free. You see, after a while, when viewing the entire Bible through the lens of Jesus, we begin to see redemption and mercy and grace in spite of our sin everywhere we look. And we begin to find Jesus as the answer to the longing heart. And there was so much these IDs, these imitation disciples, could have seen as Jesus was speaking so much that they could have leaned into. He could have opened their hearts and they would have seen the light. But instead, we now see the identifying mark of an imitation believer. They're quick to take offense at what he said. All they heard was the implication that they needed to be set free, which of course meant that Jesus thought that they were in slavery and in bondage. They were offended and they responded in anger. John 8, 33 to 34 says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Ah, now they're offended, and now the battle between Jesus and them is underfoot. Connecting God's people to God's Word in our world today is critical. And Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld engages timely issues of life and faith so important for God's people to engage and discuss. Special guests each week examine critical issues that impact our lives and our journey with Jesus. So join us on Truth and Life today by tuning in on Vision TV every Sunday at 1230 Eastern or subscribe to the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or simply visit us online at backtothebible.ca and send us an email at info at backtothebible.ca to let us know that you're watching. If you'd like to learn more or share a gift to support the ministry of Truth and Life today or any of the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, would you call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. The Roman philosopher Seneca said it well, no bondage is harder than that of the passions. The Greek philosopher Plato said, liberty is the name of virtue and bondage is the name of vice. 
And that's precisely what Jesus was saying. If you abide in his word, you will not only know the truth, but the truth will set you free. That is inside of you from your bondage to sin. It's the greatest bondage. Paul says that we do things that we don't want to do. You know, you might be in bondage to anger or to lust, to lying and stealing, to alcohol or drugs, to the use of profanity or to sexual misdeeds or to rivalry and envy, to strife with others. You might want to be free, but these things are enslaving you. And Jesus says, if you abide in his word, you're going to be free indeed. Listen to what Jesus prays for in John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That is, purify them in the truth. Help them to grow into the word. That's where freedom, that's where holiness is found. And that corresponds with Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not complicated. It all depends on what you feed. Feed your heart on the values you find around you, and that creates a deeply and profoundly defiled heart. But feed on the word and your heart finds itself transformed in terms of what it desires and what it loves and what it values. I don't know about you, but I find that hopeful. But interestingly enough, these people who believed in him, well, they found it extremely offensive. It was offensive for at least two reasons. And and the first, that the implication was plain. The implication is that Jesus thought that they were bound in sin. And then secondly, these words were especially offensive because these people were proud of their Jewish heritage. I mean, simply being a child of Abraham, at least for them, it guaranteed their blessing. So if they're hearing Jesus correctly, he's implying that, well, they're no better off than the Gentiles. He's telling them and us that whenever we practice sin, sin never remains in our control. Rather, we come under sin's control. That's offensive. But as I've said, you can tell they're an imitation disciple because when Jesus speaks to them about indwelling sin, all they know is that their hackles are rising. And perhaps we have to be honest here. So much of what Jesus said is, in fact, offensive. It was offensive to Jews because he frequently said that Gentiles had more faith than they did. He would commend a Roman centurion for his faith, saying he had never found such faith in all of Israel. That's just the beginning of the offense. Did you know that absolutely no one spoke more often and warned more often about hell than Jesus? You know, for those of us who don't believe in hell, Well, that's going to offend you because Jesus believed it was a real place and that the way was broad and that the majority of the human race was going right there. And what's more, Jesus claimed that he was the only way to God. And I'll give you more. Jesus claimed that every act of sex outside of marriage was wrong. It was a sin. That means living with your girlfriend. That means any one-night stand. That, That means adultery or homosexuality. Any sex outside of marriage is impure. There's more. Jesus warned us against laying up treasure on earth. Jesus taught that we had to love our enemies, forgive them. He taught that we needed to give to the poor. Jesus taught that if we denied him before men, he would deny us. He even taught us that we needed to take up our cross and follow him even unto death. So much to be offended about in Jesus. You know, often when I read the Bible, I can tell God that I'm in fact offended by most of the stuff that I read there. And I have to ask him to send his Holy Spirit so that I would love that which I intuitively would reject. Well, you have to do the same. 
But an ID, an imitation disciple, will never love some of the teachings of Jesus. They'll simply make up their minds to resist. Listen, everyone who sins. Now, in the Greek, this is called a participial construction. It means a continuing, ongoing state. Jesus is not saying that every individual act of sin represents slavery. I mean, there's a sense in which that's true, of course. But that's not Jesus' point here. He is saying that everyone who continues in sin is a slave to sin. You're a slave to your sin if you're unable to break free. Now, verse 35, here's a sobering verse. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Let me illustrate. You know, some time ago, I was in a residence of one of the many houses that belonged to, yep, the Saudi royal family. And I must say, it was unlike any house I'd ever seen. I mean, did you know they have many servants and the servants that live in that house, I mean, make no mistake about it, they live there, but it's not their house. They can be dismissed, but that's not so with the sons and daughters of the royal family. Now, that's also true in a spiritual sense. See, you can hang around the people of God. You can go to church with everyone else. You can even bow your head when prayers are said and say the occasional amen. But if you're not a son or a daughter, then you're a slave and you don't belong. Now to verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. It's a glorious truth. In the spiritual realm, it's possible for a slave to become a son or a daughter. Oh, wow, it's beautiful. But in order for that to happen, the Son must set you free. Don't you see? Jesus is saying he is the doorway for freedom and for acceptance before the Father. Now to verse 37. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. See, here's another sign of an imitation disciple. IDs are willing to condemn Jesus in order to justify themselves. Given enough time in the right circumstances, these same people who said they believed in him, six months later, would shout out to Pilate, crucify him. In the end, Jesus would seem just too radical for them. That means given enough time, the pretense would fade away and the raw reality would come to light. And this, by the way, is the explanation of why we see people who for a while seem to be followers of Jesus, but then they fall away. But then Jesus is not content with that. He has something more to say to imitation disciples. Watch now John 8, 38 to 44. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now again, look to the beginning of verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will, watch this, your will is to do your father's desires. So you can tell whose child you are by asking and answering this question. What does your will desire? Now here's Satan's desires. 
Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, we might say, look, I'm not looking to murder anyone, but, but hang on for a moment. Jesus also said that Satan is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks right out of his character, and I hope you see the contrast. See, Jesus tells us that the truth sets us free, and Satan, by example, teaches us that lying is the avenue by which we can get what we want, lying. You know, your boss says, where were you yesterday? I was sick. Lying kills trust between you. There are other lies. Slander is a form of lying. That's how they got Jesus crucified. And that's still how we kill other people's character today. I hope you see that killing and lying go hand in hand. Years ago, psychologist Scott Peck wrote a book entitled People of the Lie. He said that it's the principal way in which we can identify someone as evil. They're people of the lie. There are people who have become comfortable with shading the truth. In fact, said Peck, the central defect of evil is not the sin itself, but the refusal to acknowledge it. Ah, the mark of an ID, an imitation disciple feels comfortable with lying, with shading the truth, and with getting what they want regardless of the consequences. Do you want to be an authentic disciple? Then come from the world of lies and murder and darkness and Satanism and come to Jesus. He'll set you free. It'll be so uncomfortable because he'll expose all of your sin. But in the end of the day, you will be truly free and you will become a son or a daughter in the household of God. John, it's interesting because I think this day and age, nobody would have would want to have to think that they are a slave to anything, but that's what the scripture is saying. And, 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 and Christ is the only answer to that slavery. Uh, that's not a popular motif. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, you know, I do think uh, the, 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 the mantra of the day is that I'm the captain of my own ship and I can chart my own course and I can go wherever I want to. And uh, so, you know, the, you can become anything you want to be, we tell people. And, you know, we have a number of ways of, of stating this. The idea that we are in bondage to sin and that the evil one uh, holds us in check and that we can't possibly find our way out, it's just a very unpopular thing. That's what Jesus is saying, however. And, uh, <laughs> but he comes with a wonderful offer. He's going to come set us free. So, uh, you know, take the offer. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Have you heard Dr. John's latest series in the book of the Psalms, Finding Pleasure in God? Well, if you haven't, or if you'd like to hear it again, or you want to send it to a friend, We want to send Finding Pleasure in God on CD as our gift to you. We also want to include Dr. John's series on Psalm 42, To the King, accompanied by a limited edition illustration of Psalm 42 on a magnet for your kitchen, your office, or shop, all reminding you of God's faithfulness. These three ministry resources, all free as our gift. Finding Pleasure with God, to the King, and a limited edition Psalm 42 illustration on a magnet. To ask for your free gifts this month, or to offer a gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 
663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.